0: Hey, everybody. Before we jump into today's episode, I just want to point out a few ways in which you can work with us here at How to SaaS. Number one, if you're an investor and you're in the middle of a transaction and you want to figure out what is the marketing potential of the target investment that I'm looking at, you can engage with us in a due diligence engagement where within two weeks we can give you a very clear picture of all the levers within the marketing function of that organization and how you can scale budget up and down and find efficiencies and make the overall marketing function far more mature. Number two, if you are a a founder, a CEO, an operator, or even an, an investor, and you have a company where marketing is just under leveraged, and you see it as a growth lever for your business to take it to the next level, you can engage with us in a three to four month engagement where we do a deep dive and look at all the possible areas where marketing can make a bigger impact on the organization and come back with a detailed set of recommendations across demand gen, paid media, ABM, uh, content marketing, product marketing, SEO, you name it. And come back with a full set of recommendations, your entire new org design to support those recommendations and overall budget recommendations for the business. And number three, if you have a particular business where maybe your VP of marketing was recently transitioned out, maybe they left for another job, maybe you don't have a CMO but are thinking about hiring one, well, we can fill that gap within your organization with part-time CMO services. And we do this on a month-to-month retainer, which can last anywhere between three months to 12 months, depending on what your needs are. And we can help set the foundation for the company and help you hire your next CMO and help onboard them into the role so that when they come into the organization, they get a running start and they're able to make an impact on revenue right away. And you don't have to wait to find the right person to get going with all your marketing initiatives. So those are all the ways. If you want to learn more, go to www.howtosass.com and schedule a consult, and we can go from there. And now on to the episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Private Equity Value Creation Podcast, where we interview leading investors, operators, bankers, and advisors to help you answer one question. How do we increase the enterprise value of our companies? My name is Shiv Narayanan, and each episode, I will dive deep with a guest to help you become a better value creator and capital allocator. So with that said, let's jump right in and let's get started with today's episode. My guest today is Vinny Pratchka and he is the operating partner at JMI Equity. And what is interesting about JMI is they've invested in some of the leading software companies around, including UKG, Clio, and Seismic. I wanted to talk to Vinny about his role and how he gets involved with his portfolio companies. And the conversation ended up going in a very interesting direction because Vinny talked about the importance of segmentation and really understanding your ICPs and how the decisions in, in that area Permeates throughout all different functions of the organization, including sales, marketing, product, pricing, packaging, and much more. It's a very interesting conversation. And I think a lot of private equity investors and founders and, and CEOs, when you're thinking about your business, nailing down your ICP is really the first place that you have to look at before you get your go to market to be in the right place. So I really appreciated that perspective from Vinny, and I hope you learn a lot from that uh, conversation. Okay, Vinny. Welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me, Shiv. Likewise. Thanks. Thanks for being on. Super excited to have you on to tell the JMI story. So, why don't we start with you giving an introduction about the firm and then your role? Sure. So, um, we're JMI
1: Equity. We're growth uh, equity investors. We're focused on B two B software companies. You We've know, been doing this. The firm's been doing this about thirty years. Always the same strategy. Software has been a great place to be. Um, you know, being growth investors, if you think about where we sit in terms of um, company lifecycle, right, we're investing in companies that have established product market fit. And our job is to scale. them. Uh, I'm an operating partner. I've been with JMI
0: now just about nine years and and jmi as a growth equity firm what's interesting about your portfolio is you're you're invested in some really large privately held companies like clio like ukg like seismic and so maybe talk a little bit about your investment philosophy in terms of what types of companies you focus on or or how you determine what's a good fit for for your portfolio
1: yeah i mean really for us we're looking for businesses that one they're going to have a referenceable customer base when we invest so They've got product market fit. They've got customers we can call on and really understand how is the company's products adding value to that customer base. And We think about it as we are taking execution risk in those businesses. we got to scale them. we got to keep growing them. Um, so that means either grow them more quickly than they're currently growing or extend a growth trajectory that they're already on, right? Because businesses eventually will tend to top out and slow down. We want to extend that period of high growth. It's fine if it's a vertical market software business, you know, focused very specifically on a particular industry. That's great. It can be horizontal. You mentioned Seismic, right? Selling to all different types of, of, uh, of, of companies. And we really want to partner with strong management teams, particularly you know, a strong leader. We, we invest in a lot of founder run businesses so for us, it's really important we get alignment on what are we trying to do over the next three to five years, most importantly, in the next 12 to 24 months to build a foundation for prolonged growth.
0: And, and how do you go about building that foundation in your role? Obviously, in an operation, operational capacity, you're plugged in with a lot of these companies, but is there a standardized playbook that you're taking all investments through or building a more customized approach?
1: So I would uh, I would classify our model as highly flexible. We believe growth looks different in every company. And all of these businesses are changing really, really fast. There are foundational things that every B2B software company must do, but that will be customized for the particular business. So what we're focused on is talking about the what and the why, the how is really up to the company. So we're not going to walk in with a standardized playbook, uh, but, but but there are things that every company needs to do. I mean, we're very fortunate. We've made over 180 investments over our history. We've gotten to work with some really talented people and we learn from every company, big and small. They're all doing something really well. And my job is to take those best practices and share them with the portfolio um, and also hopefully help our companies see around corners. We wanna keep growing we also want to keep sucking risk out. And how do we do that? Well, we're sharing things that our companies and and we at JMI have gotten wrong in the past. The goal is not to make the same mistakes again. Uh, doesn't mean we're not going to make any mistakes. We certainly are. When you're going this fast, you got to be iterative.
0: Um, but it's identifying them, learning from them, and moving on. Right, right. And, and that sounds great. So I want to jump into each of those. So let's start with the foundational elements. What are some of the pieces that you try to ensure are in place with every single company you're investing in? I mean, one of the things we wanna do right off the bat is really
1: clearly identify the ICP, the ideal customer profile. Who are we selling to? Who's gonna get the most utility out of the company's products? And what that could result in is doubling down in that market or those markets. So market segmentation is really, really important. And I'll give you an example. We, we invested in a business, it was a product lifecycle management software company. What does that mean? Well, they, uh, it's a place where you store and track the bill of materials for complex manufacturing uh, businesses. And this company was selling to about 11 different uh, industries. And it turns out when you're really dig into the data, two of those industry verticals were driving the bulk of the revenue Those verticals uh, retained better and they cost less to service. And they were big markets. They were big enough for us to build a really valuable company. So we got aligned with the senior management team and got the company focused on just those two industries and cascaded that throughout the business. So what that meant was sales team focused on those two verticals, splitting the sales team all of our marketing effort on those two verticals. We took hand raisers elsewhere, but all of the defined effort on those segments of the market. The company even took quotas up between 20 and 40% over two years. Now that's 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 pretty substantial. And more sales reps hit their number uh, during our hold. Uh, and, and what does that mean? It means those sales reps also made more money right? They, and they sold better business. So where do we end up? we got a lower customer acquisition cost. We had stickier customers who are, they got high NPS. They're going to stick around. They're going to buy more from us. It's also going to drive net revenue retention. So you end up with a business that is going to continue to grow, but also is going to get profitable as well, walking its way to rule of four. It was a really great outcome for the management team uh and for jmi.
0: Yeah, that's the interesting thing about segmentation, right? Because a lot of companies, even horizontal ones or verticalized ones, they try to be everything to everyone and really understanding which customers are either your NPS promoters or stay with you the longest and have lower churn rates or end up expanding their accounts with you over time, really digging into the data and understanding that is a key first step. So is that kind of how you identified those first two industry verticals or were there other metrics that you looked at in particular?
1: No, absolutely. It was really about looking at where are we generating pipeline? What are the ASPs on those customers? You also uh, oftentimes will find because you are providing substantial value to that customer base, You can sell at a higher price they're willing to pay more um what i found in some of our companies this actually happened at ukg where early on this is years ago um but sales reps were able to sell to all industries and the best sales reps were self-selecting into certain industry categories they got and why they got very good at telling customer stories and a prospect wants to hear about why is someone who looks and acts like me, how do they get value out of your solution? I can understand that, speak my language. And we found is these reps that were the highest performing reps, were were focused on just doing a couple of things well and replicating that over and over and over. Sell
0: at a higher price, less discounting, also increases sales cycles, it all hangs together. It's all connected. Yeah, I think that's that's the really interesting part is really identifying that ICP has a domino effect across all functions of the business so understood first step is clearly defining that icp and who's your ideal customer as a next step is then the work going into segmentation and understanding how big the tam is within those icps yes
1: so then you're going to think about um, i mean a couple things so one is the tam large enough how 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 am i going to staff against that tam Uh, and how quickly do i want to move and then we're going to start thinking about do we want to go hunter farmer in this market do we want to go big small maybe there's you know maybe there's uh smb maybe there's micro below that maybe there's enterprise above that and that's really going to depend upon i think about segmentation in terms of um buyer journey what is the purchasing process at those companies different i mean some of this is obvious but Different and larger companies and smaller companies. I mean, sometimes uh, we're working with a business and we find that you know they've got an excellent product, by far the most innovative product in their um, in their space. And they'll talk to both large and small companies the same way. And what happens is those smaller companies, that's great that you have all this functionality, your product can do all those things. But you know what? That scares me. I mean, I don't know if you've uh, you know met. Matt Dixon, it's probably been about a year now, but you know, wrote that, that uh, Jolt book, right? It's all about fear of change. And uh, people are afraid of making the wrong decision. Now, if we present too much, they may be fully convinced that that is the right product, I'd love to own that, but that implementation scares the heck out of me. The change management's really, really important. We gotta be thinking about that. We segment the market, not just by, by, um, by vertical, but also by customer size, by buying process, maybe by use case. What are they using our product for?
0: And thinking, always thinking about that customer journey. But as you get more defined in terms of the people that you're going after, technically your TAM could shrink, right? Because before maybe the company wasn't as aggressive with their ICP definitions. And so there were way more targets. So I think managing those internal expectations that, hey, it looks like your TAM or SAM or SOM is smaller, but your likelihood of winning here is significantly higher. And you mentioned earlier that you actually ended up increasing quotas. I think managing that expectation internally is, is a key part of making that a reality. Absolutely. I mean, you, yeah,
1: we gotta be data driven. So oftentimes a TAM too is defined or people will define it based upon what is my average selling price today? One that can change over time. And we we've, we've proven that um, you know, as I just mentioned, if the product is better suited a particular customer base, you may find significant price el- elasticity uh, in that customer set. But then also, what is the next product? Where have we earned the right to sell the next product or the next use case to that customer set? And what should we what we should be thinking about is walking that customer through that journey with us, right? Land and expand. We may have that product in our bag today. We may not. And then we're thinking about are we going to buy a build partner to get it but if we've earned the right to sell more to that customer base which you will if they're happy with and if they're happy with our our service and we're adding value you know new products into that same customer se- segment is tam expanding
0: right yeah and you said something earlier that also resonated with me is just that many times some there could be a company with the best product in a marketplace but they don't win necessarily because their ICPs and and segments aren't defined. And then when they're going to market, they're targeting all these different segments or different deal sizes the same. And so they don't end up winning against oftentimes inferior products that have better go to markets. Well, exa- I mean, it's, it's easy to get out, outsold, right? You're hiring a lot of people,
1: they're doing 14 different things. I mean, every I mean, you re- anything you read, context switching is hard. It's hard for a customer, it's hard for a sales rep. Um, so when you're, you know, if it, it, if it looks like a duck and, you know, walks like a duck, it, it's a duck. So like um, just spending more time replicating what you're doing is a lot easier for your salespeople. And that's not just your frontline rep, your BDR, your marketing organization, all that. It's, it's a lot easier to get outsold.
0: Right. So, so let's talk about some of the other areas that this ends up ends up affecting. So, once you get the segmentation and the TAM and the ICPs in a good place, how does this connect to the actual sales organization structure and the territory planning and and all of that work that that comes from from the segmentation?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we're focused on what is the opportunity of a particular territory. The hope is that we're going to have balanced territories. If your quarters are going to be relatively similar. Across your sales rep, you know, let's just say it's the U.S. How do we carve up the U.S. in such a way that we're going to have balanced, uh, balanced territories? And a lot of times that you, know, you might, you might more often than not end up with a named account model if you're telling, if you're selling to a particular, um, a particular industry, as an example, versus a purely uh, geographic model, and and you're rebalancing that every year. And I think one of the things that's really important is being able to sit across the table from a sales rep as you're. Hopefully it's like January 1st and not February 15th. But as you enter the year and hand them one sheet sheet of paper that illustrates, here's how you can make your number in this territory, this number of accounts, this ASP, maybe it's different flavors of deals or or different products, but credibly multiple ways to get to quota without having to go sell 50% of your available market.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm and then in terms of tying that to the overall objectives of the business is there enough work done also at the financial level to say let's say you want to book 10 million in bookings how that ties to the territory planning
1: well I mean you working you're you're working backwards right in terms of what's my sales capacity um, how do I feel about that sales capacity because you've got not only what is the opportunity in a territory but how much work goes into closing a deal? Just you know, how much can one rep conceivably get done uh, realistically in a month or in a quarter or however, whatever the cadence of your business is. And you know, you're gonna look back at historical sales cycle and maybe there's reasons why they should speed up. Um, maybe there's reasons why ASP should be going up. I mean, you got obviously price increases, but also more in the bag, your average deal size can increase just because now, Every customer I sell is not buying 1.2 products at initial sale. They're buying 1.4 products on average. Um, and if you could show a salesperson the path to that, and then of course you just need the once you're comfortable with that uh, productivity on a per rep basis, do I have the utter capacity to hit my number? Um, yeah, you know, most of our most of our companies probably have a 80. Um, you know, allocation of, of, uh, of over assignment of quota. So basically, and and that's because, you know, obviously uh, not everyone's going to hit 100% of their number, but also you're going to have some turnover in sales. And that's the buffer for the sales manager, right? Make sure you got your seats filled, but you've got some of that buffer as you go into the year.
0: Right. Right. So, and you touched on something else there, which is on the product and and the pricing and the packaging side. So, talk talk about the work that's going into that because as you're defining your ICPS and and the market that you're going after, likely yeah, they're going to buy more from you or they're a better fit for what you're selling. So they their ASPs will be likely higher. And so, what type of modeling and prep work is going into that to truly understand the the dollar value of the TAM that you're the the new segment that you're going after?
1: Yeah, I think I mean we could do it's a whole different i think it's a whole different podcast on on pricing and packaging yeah um but i mean you're looking at uh, different different combinations of what of what customers have been buying previously which customers buy certain products how sticky when those products are sold together is that customer base and then also when i when i say stickiness you know sometimes when you line item products on an invoice, they get dropped. So maybe maybe you want to bundle certain things. Um, maybe you want to bundle certain things because you know for a fact if the customer buys A and B, they're going to be more successful. Sell that package. Talk about it as a package. You, know, you need to have both of these products in order to get done what you in particular are looking to get done, buy our gold package or whatever you want to call it. Um, now, obviously, it's got to be credible. You got to be able to look to customers. If you're going to look at, I think about it all as a salesperson, you can convince a salesperson they can sell it. They can sell it. Um, so you got to be credible and be able to point to reference customers where it's actually working.
0: Right. And and that that speaks to the amount of analysis required, right? Because there's the external segmentation and that type of work that's going on. But then there's also internally, internally looking at the existing customer base and looking at their behavior, and which subsets are buying what, and how much are they buying? And really building that into the sales plan is likely a, a better way to ensure success. Absolutely.
1: I mean, you've um, you need. I mentioned it earlier. You need reps to be able to tell customer stories. Yeah, you, know, you obviously need referenceable customers so they can say it themselves. But if you can tell credible customer stories you are going to reduce the risk of change for your prospect. You're gonna increase your sales cycle and increase the probability of winning.
0: And how much of your role, Vinny, like is going into that work? Because that's taking customer analysis and research and then funneling that through to either product marketing or sales enablement teams so that you have that right content to be able to enable the sales reps to be able to go to market to to net new accounts right and there's a ton of product marketing work there they required in terms of messaging and positioning and that type of stuff but then also the the success stories and the metrics and what types of outcomes customers can expect so how plugged in the, into that are you and what types of solutions or recommendations are you making to your companies it,
1: it really so how plugged in we are um the type of work we do really depends upon the business so as, business, as these businesses grow, um, roles are becoming more and more specialized within the company. And because they're growing so fast, there's always going to be gaps in the employee base at the business, just because things are changing so fast, they need different types of people and you know, roles are created. That's the great thing about a growth business, tremendous amount of opportunity for employees because the business is getting bigger and there's so much more to do. So there are times where we'll invest in a company and like they might not have a sales ops person. It it might have been the sales leader or the head of inside sales that's doing all the analytics themselves. And then that person is creating their own territories. So we might roll up our sleeves and really be hands-in analyzing all the data and making a suggestion on what the territories for next year should be uh, to the sales leader. That's because that person doesn't exist. At the same time, we're working to... we're recruiting for a sales ops person. Uh, Other times the company already has the infrastructure. So what are we doing there? We could just be a reviewer where, you know, come share something back. Let's talk about it. Maybe we're putting a little bit of pen to paper or just, you know, a complete sounding board. Like here's my story to the rep. What do you think about this? Does this sound incredible? I have that kind of conversation with heads of sales or sales managers all the time, just just role playing, right? If you can convince me, you can convince the rep. And other times we're just making introductions to portfolio companies. You know who's who's in a similar ma- market. Who just launched their second product, right? Who just raised uh, prices ten percent, or 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 went from a module a modular model to a bundled model. You know a good, better, best type of model. Let, let me talk to a couple of heads of marketing and a couple of, of uh, CROs in the portfolio. And we do that all the time, like 45 portfolio companies. We're really fortunate that we've got this knowledge base we can draw on uh, to let the companies learn from each other. They don't just need to hear it from JMI. It gets back to telling customer stories. You know, hear it, hear it from your peer who's in your shoes. So really, we're flexible in terms of how deep we're going and what work we're actually doing. Sometimes it's we're actually doing the work. We look like a member of the team. Other times it's just providing some high level advice. And at the end of the day, for us, it depends upon what does the company need. But I think more importantly, Shiv, it's what does the company want? Our model is more of a poll model um, where there's this menu of resources available to you. We can come in and get deep if that's what you want and what you need. Or we can be really high level and we're here on call more like a help desk, call us when you need us.
0: Yeah. And and how much of the work there is actually connecting the company with the right people or putting people in the right seats? Uh, As an example, you know, when you figure out your TAM and who you're kind of going after, you can have more enterprise go-to-market companies that have a very limited segment of the market that they're going after, and they need to do heavy account-based marketing or sales and do almost one-to-one outreach and the team you require there is very different than more of like an inbound model where it's high velocity and you have a very large tam right so how much of that work is actually just getting the right people in the right seats to support I mean, businesses?
1: that's a we spend a lot of time recruiting for our businesses um and so we've got there's a person on my team that attracts you know, all of our networks. So our goal is to try to get uh, you know, like, like, like anyone's goal, get good people into the company fast. Uh, hopefully there's somebody we've worked with in, in the past that could fill that role, but if not just knowing the right recruiters and um, you know, knowing who we can get to quickly. And you know, we're looking for people that have had exposure to similar situations in the past, as you mentioned. What is the velocity of the sales mo- uh, model? What are the sales cycles? Uh, how complex is the sale? Um, is it a high-touch sale? Is it more PLG, right? Are, are there free trials involved? And what's nice is we've got to access to companies that have done all of that. Um, some are doing both SMB and enterprise, but as I mentioned, just two different sales segments. And you probably got two different—you probably got a you know a, a sales manager managing an SMB team, a sales manager managing an enterprise team. Um, And then as we think about introductions, we're always thinking about who is most appropriate as a result of their experience at a current portfolio company or prior experience introduced to this executive based on what they need. And it's probably going to be most likely, as you mentioned, based upon velocity, ASP, uh, and uh, end customer user, what do they look like?
0: Which roles in your experience, and we come across all kinds of companies that are owned by private equity, and we see major gaps in data, for example, or demand gen and and places where we're brought in. But overall, when you're looking at these businesses, which areas do you see uh, almost like a resource gap or a personnel gap where there's just not enough uh, brain power uh, in the right seats to be able to take the company to the next level? So... The answer
1: is it depends, uh, you know, we, we invest in some companies that, um, you know, they may not have a middle layer of, of sales management. Like it's a head of sales and it's 15 reps. And that doesn't work, you can't manage 15 people or you certainly can't manage them appropriately. So one of the key roles, I think in any software business, one of the most important roles is the frontline sales manager. That's the person that's coaching the reps every day Providing direction, also holding the reps accountable for what they need to do. So, critical role. Um, sometimes there's not enough of them. Sometimes they're just not trained appropriately. You, know, you get you get into this cycle of my best rep becomes a manager. Okay, so now I've lost that capacity, and I've never really taught them what it means to be a sales manager. So, really, really, really important. I think about like you know, Ted Williams, greatest hitter who ever lived, wasn't a great manager. Couldn't communicate that the other place I see too, oftentimes where the role just doesn't exist and and, and we're investing in a lot of 20 to 40 to $50 million software companies, product marketing, critical role and gets overlooked, may not overlooked too often, but I think hired too late too often.
0: Right? Yeah. We've seen that too, where a company can grow to 20, 30, 50, even a hundred million dollars. And if they have multiple product lines, somebody to actually tell the overarching story and get the messaging really on point. So, so that when sales goes to market or demand gen programs are in flight, you're actually sending the right messages to the right folks. It, exactly.
1: And it's, you know, it's normally, who's gonna do this? Well, product marketing, okay, we don't have product marketing. And it's not an easy role to hire for. I mean, finding good people, really good product marketers, marketers is not that easy. So we're starting to keep a list. And we do a, um, we've got Slack groups for like all of our CMOs and we do um, uh, monthly discussion groups by functional areas. And we talk about things like this all the time. Um, and the nice thing is we're, I find that our, we're really fortunate. Our portfolio is kind of feels a little bit like a college alumni network. They're very willing to share, which is great. Um, so it's been, it's, it's been really helpful, but, it, but it's an interesting pattern. I mean, I just find a lot of people are looking for product marketers.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's a unique skill set. And even in our engagements with the PE back companies, usually product marketing has not historically been a big part of engagements, but over the last like 24 months, it seems to be a part of almost every other engagement that we work on, especially as M&A ramps up. You see that as a major area that needs to be worked on because you need to tell a broader story. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Talk about Talk about some of the other avenues that you're looking at in terms of scaling the businesses beyond just segmentation or, or building out the sales program. Like what else ends up moving the needle, at least from the from the vantage point where you are and, and where you're getting plugged into these companies.
1: Yeah, I mean we're looking an interesting software business for us, right? So they're all recurring, of course, because they're all they're all SaaS businesses. They're they're growing really fast, but it probably has really solid gross margin, you know, 75% plus gross margins, but you got to continue to drive that best in class, you know, 90% plus gross retention rate at scale. So going back to segmentation, not only is your front end sales and marketing need to be segmented, but customer success as well. And that segmentation, not only around use case and customer size, but we think about there are there are customers that are generating a certain amount of revenue. It's a lot of revenue. Obviously, they require, they, they require more care and feed.ing We got to protect that base. But what about high potential customers? You may have customers that are lower revenue for the company today, but high potential. We should be investing in those customers. So I think about it as a pyramid. The top of the pyramid is big revenue or big opportunity, and our staffing model is going to look different. How we interact with those customers got to look different bottom of the pyramid, low revenue, low opportunity, you're going to staff against those customers differently. Obviously, we want to keep them all, but we can't spend as much time with them. So we spend a fair amount of time in customer success. And then also just, you know, early in a customer, oftentimes, not always early in a company lifecycle, people solve things with bodies, just keep throwing bodies at it. And um, those bodies then buy their own software, and you end up with a bunch of siloed software systems. And so how do you connect all that and build a technology backbone in a company that's going to make all of those individuals more efficient? So you can stop throwing bodies at it. I think about it as, you know, you can grow with just more capacity, and you can keep growing. Scale. In order to scale, you need to get more efficient. So how do you do more with the same? That is scaling.
0: And and how, how do you do that on, on in terms of your role? How are you either coaching your companies or, or bringing some of these best practices to them? Because efficiency is really the name of the game, right? Especially when you look at things like Rule of 40 or driving EBITDA in a private equity-backed environment. Like, How are you coaching these guys to drive that kind of efficiency regardless of if it's sales or marketing or other areas of the business? Well, I mean, going back to the what and the why,
1: it's obviously talking about, What our best companies do, but also showing them being data driven, showing some benchmarking data, like your cost of acquisition against all these other vertical market software businesses is so much higher. Why is that? There may be reasons why. We may be investing in the growth to suck up a bunch of market share because we're, you know, uh, it's twelve to fifteen year replacement cycles. These customers aren't coming around again. What, whatever it is but we need to convince ourselves why those metrics look different. So sharing that data and having a real discussion, our strategy may be we're going to overspend in these areas. That could be fine. I mean, the nice thing about a real high quality business is we can choose how profitable the business is. I mean, if it's got good gross margin and a sticky customer base, you can mess with OPEX and make that business really profitable. So, Profitability then becomes a choice, and we gotta make sure we're making that choice together. And then I think on the on the tech side, you know, sometimes it's just like, let's line up all the software the company owns, and it can be eye-opening when they actually go out and figure out. I like put it on a piece of paper. Sometimes I'll even use security as a lever to get some of that done. And I'm sorry, it's a little bit of a secret, but you know you've got all these different software programs people are logging into that are touching your network. Are they secure? Do you have multi-factor authentication? I, I don't know. Right. We should, we should look into that. And all of a sudden you end up with a list. It's like, wow, you know, we're paying 120 different vendors. It's on, it's on credit cards. No one
0: really knows. No one pays attention. It's crazy. We've seen uh, companies have multiple software platforms that they don't even use on the marketing side, but they're on a recurring subscription right and and it adds up if you if you take each subscription at ten, fifteen twenty k easily you get to hundred thousand plus and in, in budget that's just being wasted
1: absolutely, and you think about it right that's a customer support person,
0: yeah, yeah, easily, and it can be a couple of headcount if you get to four five hundred k so um yeah, I think that's great I, and one of the things that's jumping out is I'm hearing you talk is just jMI is spending a ton of effort into having its portfolio companies share best practices, knowledge, benchmarking data, like all of this stuff in order to make all those companies become more efficient and just operate better overall?
1: Yeah. I mean, we do, um, I mentioned before, it's more of a pull model. We, we've got a number of, I'll call them opt-in programs. And we've got a content repository that people can log into to find templates and all sorts of, um, best practices. And then, like I said, we do the monthly discussion groups, we do a couple webinars a month. We bring every like we bring all of our CMOs together once a year, all of our CFOs together once a year. And a lot of the content, it's a day and a half uh, networking and sharing session. A lot of the content's portfolio company driven. What's really interesting that other companies doing, or what's some big challenge that someone else solved? And uh one of the real benefits from only doing growth software is they've all got the same challenges. And you'll find even little companies, not only little companies learning from big companies, but the other way around too, like I said earlier, everyone's doing something really, really well. And some companies have really novel approaches to things. And you know, just hearing that might trigger an idea in someone's mind. Like we, we had eight, uh, eight or nine companies come together just to talk about executive business reviews. How do you do them? What do you think you do well? What are you concerned about? And it sparks so much creative thought in each of those companies that are listening.
0: Yeah, it's really the people and, and all the different experiences that they're bringing to the table. I think by just creating that forum, you're giving those companies an opportunity to get exposed to innovative practices within the portfolio itself. So I think, I think that's great. Um, I think that's a good place to end the episode, but before we uh, finish things off, is there anything, any place that people can go to learn more about GMI or or yourself or the portfolio? I mean, really, saw our website, jmi.com is where you uh, you
1: can see our portfolio there. I think we've got um, some examples of some of the recent uh, networking things that I mentioned, uh, summaries of those and, and things we've talked about.
0: Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely be sure to include those in the show notes. And Vinny, thanks a lot for doing this and appreciate you doing the episode. Thank you. Great. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Before you take off, just a few requests from our side. Number one, if you enjoyed today's content and want more of it, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher. Number two, if you are in the market for marketing strategy consulting services, due diligence services, or fractional CMO services, please visit our website at www.howtosass.com and schedule a consult today. And number three, if you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, Post Acquisition Marketing, It's available on Apple Books, on Amazon, and any bookstore that you can find online. Get a copy because it walks through the framework that we take all of our clients through and it'll definitely add value to your business. And that's it for today. We'll see you guys next time.